The content you're about to hear might be triggering for some people, so please take care. This is also our final episode, and we'd like to say a big thank you for coming on this journey with us. Last time on Undiscussable. So they had plenty of evidence to say it was him. They even had CCTV cameras coming to be my, coming to the house. Wow, so they could see. They could see who he was, so they could see him going back to the coach where he was co- going to the coach. Right. Did they did they question him? They questioned him. Yeah, they, they arrested him and questioned him. They took him took him into the police station, took his phone off him, and then the police officer who was dealing with the case went on annual leave for three weeks. Right. And it wasn't until he come back that that's when they come round to the house and told me they weren't taking no further charge. They weren't even taking it to CPS. He was trying to put his fingers, he was trying to jump onto me, he was trying to get my head towards his crotch. And I was screaming and crying. And I was... I promise I would never cry again. No, it's all right. it's, no. Gosh, what you've been through is harrowing. With the screams, my son came and said, Mum, you're right. And... I said, no, no, that's fine, darling. You're just going inside. I just didn't want him to see me like that. I got a call from the police. CPS won't represent you. They're refusing to take your case on. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. I felt the whole world just come down on me. I was surprised. And I just held my breath. Can you hear me at the back? Because I want to make sure you can. Great. (laughs) I was at the Domestic Abuse Bill Policy Conference, about to speak on the panel. The people at the back of the room had said they couldn't hear the previous speaker, so I wanted to make sure that they definitely heard me. You may also notice that I had a cold, so sorry if I sound bunged up and sniffly. I gave some background about my involvement, missing out my personal experience at this stage anyway. I still hadn't said anything in a public domain. I think I'd had it so ingrained in me to edit my past that it brought on so much fear of the thought of it ever getting out. I mean, I wasn't even allowed to say my own name in my house as a child. I was then asked by the panel host what my number one priority was for the bill. I'm going to come back to you, Charlie. Just a small question. What's your number one priority for the bill? (laughs) This question's been bothering me. I knew this question was going... Everything, (laughs) there's so much. Um, I mean, I have a massive problem with the justice system um, and police response. But I was starting to feel like the only answer to all this was children. One thing I think I'd like to talk about and would be my main priority if I'm looking at a long-term approach, so we're not sat here in 20 years' time having the same conversation, which is what I worry will happen, if I'm really honest, um, is actually prevention and children. We want to stop putting sticking plasters on everything and look at preventative measures and look at something long term is remember who our next generation is. There is no way, let me tell you, and I know that you can be brought up in domestic abuse and not have some form of um, maladaptive behaviours, whether that's through detachment, whether that's through self-soothing, whether that's through aggressive behaviour. It's what we do as children when we feel vulnerable and unsafe and don't have a secure attachment. We rely on that to be able to form healthy relationships as adults. So if we don't help them, they can't form healthy relationships. 
It's not their fault. They can't form healthy relationships as adults. So to me, there needs to be a massive preventative measure and help for children survivors. Was I right? Or was it a focus on the criminal justice system and the police that was needed? Or was it both? Nobody I've met on this journey has had a successful conviction or any form of legal justice. Roll forward a few months later and I finally got my meeting with the National Police Chief's Council Lead for Domestic Abuse, DCC Louisa Rolfe. The role she is tasked with is to prioritise domestic abuse and secure substantial improvements across the service. I was on my way and thinking about what I wanted to discuss with her. Trying to emphasise how training needs to be mandatory. And the reason why it's not mandatory is because the police believe that the police forces need to be autonomous. So (laughs) that means they kind of make their own decision, which means that there isn't any mandatory training nationally in police forces, which then basically confirms that it is a complete postcode lottery. I know it sounds awful, but I'm just feeling more and more jaded whenever I go into talk to the government because I just feel like decisions are made on short-term basis and, well, for career politics, really, rather than actually what's the good of the community or what's going on in the community. As soon as I walked in the door of the Ministry of Justice, I saw a member of the minister's team who was already greeting DCC Rolf and her colleague. They saw me straight away, so I put my phone away, and via security we were escorted to a meeting room. I was thinking to myself how many times I've been in this building, highlighting exactly the same things over and over again. I entered a large meeting room with two members of the Ministry of Justice, who I knew already, a member of the Home Office and the Deputy Director of Vulnerability Policy. I introduced myself. (laughs) Um, I'm Charlie Webster. I'm by trade a broadcaster and journalist. And then I explained that I wanted to discuss the need for mandatory police training of domestic abuse. This was with the backing of the minister at the time, who is now no longer in his role because of Brexit. There are 43 police forces across England and Wales, each with their own chief constables and police crime commissioners. DCC Rolfe said that influencing police forces to improve their response to domestic abuse training is something that is a challenge. First responders who deal with the initial course to the police are often the most inexperienced and there is also a high turnover of people in those jobs. So we've lost about 25% of the funding for policing and because 90% of the police budget is spent on people, that obviously equates to we've got less police officers. And um, every force has, over that period, dealt with quite a significant increase in complex crime to respond to. Domestic abuse reporting has gone up by 88% since 2010, at the same time that policing has shrunk. Straight away, the mass and economics don't work. Demand has gone up, yet supply has gone down. There are consistent issues around training and awareness at front lines. The product that's been developed is the Domestic Abuse Matters training, which Women's Aid and Licence to deliver um, have been involved in the development of. Um, it's the College of Policing provide the licence, and uh, fundamentally one of the requirements of it is that the police force commissions an external provider of, with experience of working with victims. It was evaluated by Cardiff University Women's Safety Unit and Manchester Metropolitan University and was found to show a significant increase in empathy and understanding amongst officers that had received the training. 
Not every force has rolled this out. In a nutshell, each police force has their own idea of training. DCC Rolf is trying to encourage them, in her words, to deliver the product, but it's difficult for police forces to find the money for this. She said it's a complex landscape. It's £80,000 to deliver the training. It's really hard to mandate and say forces must do this because it won't actually be feasible. So we need to think of something that will work and takes into account the sort of landscape that policing is working through at the moment. If we all pushed for the ideal solutions to our different portfolios, policing would collapse. She's worked with charities who said to her, train your officers more. She said, we will never be able to train every officer to have enough understanding to use this tool effectively. She also said it's more about deploying professional curiosity by officers and getting to the right answers, even if they have less understanding. How do you deploy professional curiosity? And surely from curiosity is a process of learning and a desire to gain more information, hence training. I began to challenge what she was saying. I mean, it's interesting listening to you. It doesn't give me much hope. Why is that? Because... It, it well having mandatory police training you said is not feasible so then that's not going to happen no, no. <coughs> DA matters training will be rolled out to every force I think the difficulty will be yes, like 100% they have to do that well I can't tell Chief Constable yeah, that's what that. I mean so it's not going to unless they want to right is my point I'm not yeah. like this, I'm just observing what you've just said and then I, like from from me that, that means that you're trying to make them commit, but they don't have to commit, so they don't have to roll out DA matters. I know, but I think they'll get to a point where they're in a regime of inspections by Her Majesty Inspector Constabulary who will want to see evidence of that training. So there are other ways we can influence them. I suppose what I'm trying to articulate is sometimes a mandate from ministers... Yeah, no, isn't good. ..doesn't get yeah. it, it just presents difficulties, and it means sometimes that other really valuable things... Um, get neglected to deliver. I was still confused because to me that meant that domestic abuse wasn't really that valuable to actually enforce a change. But if we say scurry around it enough, then hopefully everybody will all come together nicely under not too much pressure and want to do this. Call me cynical, but I couldn't see it happening. And well, it isn't happening. I questioned her about first responders being so important, yet they are the most inexperienced. She agreed and said that a high level of understanding and the right response from skilled people is what we need. But again, it didn't make sense to me, because how do you get that high level of understanding if not from some form of learning and training? I started to tell the room about my experience with the police. As soon as I started and said that the officers that I dealt with weren't very responsive, I was asked whether this was recent. I literally felt like banging my head against the table. So if it happened a while ago, as in labelled historical, that could be used as an excuse that it doesn't happen anymore. And actually, the label historical should be removed anyway. It's not historical for the victim, it's very much their present. Well, it was recent. I described the various situations we'd had with the police, the hundreds of text messages to my mum threatening her, including things like, I'm going to make sure you go to hell, I'm going to get you for this, you fucking bitch finding out where she was staying, stalking her, smashing a wing mirror, threatening to kill the dog, the list goes on. These were all since my mum left. There was one situation where it took me an hour to convince two officers that after I called 999, they were dealing with a situation of domestic abuse. Another where an officer excused his threats and said to me, it's only because your mum has left him, he's just upset. 
I was also told by a detective, I'm not interested in your mum. I'm interested in the victim at hand. I'm not exactly sure who the detective thought the victim was. I wonder if you have a picture in your head of these officers. I wonder if it's formed as if they were male. Interestingly, they were all female. I think we can all fall into presuming that a female would get it, be understanding, be compassionate, see the situation for what it was. But no, that wasn't the case. And when I mentioned this to DCC Rolf and her colleague, they said that a lot of victims had said the same about female officers. After at least a month and then giving my own statement to the police, we hadn't heard a peep from them. I finally got through to the police after two weeks of trying. I spoke to a detective who said to me, that they weren't going to take the case any further. The CPS bar was too high and there wasn't enough evidence. They hadn't even collected evidence or even a full statement from my mum, so I don't know how they worked that one out. This detective was also female. To add to that, the police had made a horrific mistake. They found the family home my mum had fled asking for her, even though in the notes it specifically detailed that she'd escaped as she was in danger Luckily, he didn't answer. And that was that. I mean, what you, sadly, what you've described, I hear too often. Yeah. And it's awful. There are a number of other things that are influencing some of that that I can see from what you've said. So, fundamentally, our justice system is not set up to respond well to domestic abuse. It's an yeah. adversarial system. And some of the things that officers have described there... I can understand why they might say it, but it's the wrong its the wrong response and it's the wrong thing to do. But, um, you know, we hear repeatedly from investigators, even our best investigators in specialist teams, that CPS are expecting higher and higher and higher thresholds for domestic abuse cases, cases where we think it's clearly meeting... And I have this discussion with the DPP and their team, cases where we, can, we clearly think it's met a threshold test for a charge there and then, Prosecutors are asking for a full file, and when we look at it, because it's because they're overwhelmed with cases, yeah. and they haven't got the capacity in prosecution teams. Yeah, that's what the Home Office said to me when I spoke so, to so them. We know that yeah. that's happening, um, but also I'm, I'm not sure that having an adversarial system that boils down an incredibly complex life experience into evidence for an against uh, incidents. Sorry. That's what they do. Yeah. Ah, there was ten incidents. Very physical Over things. Thir- like yeah. Coercion and control. Yeah. And when you boil it down to that, it, it you know I've I've been horrified as a police officer for some of the cases. I've been incredibly passionate about taking through a case. And when you get down to that kind of barristers conference and they say, so here, this is what we're going for, and I say, no, it just that isn't what it's mm. all about. But but that's all they can prove. Yeah. And no, DPP refers to Director of Public Prosecutions. This backed up everything that we've found so far. And I think she's entirely right. It goes back to what Professor Marianne said earlier in the series. It all boils down to an incident with evidence to showcase an entirely complex behavioural crime. The adversarial system is one where the parties in a dispute have the responsibility for finding and presenting evidence. Basically, it's down to the victim to prove what's happened to them. This clearly doesn't work in domestic abuse and will continue failing victims and the most vulnerable. I presented a whole host of other cases and police responses across police forces over the last 12 months. She said there were too many cases like that, but the volume are moving in the right direction. I disagreed. Like, I haven't. So for me, you might be saying that, but I'm not just saying, oh, well, in my case, I'm literally talking about, like, hundreds and across... 1.2 million victims every year. 
So you might have met hundreds. And what I'm trying to say is an independent inspector... But it's weird how I've met... Easy time. They don't give us an easy time. They don't shy away from saying we're getting it wrong. What I'm trying to say is, you're right, it's happening, it's wrong in too many cases, and it's not good enough, and we need to improve the rollout of the training. Uh, what I don't want to do is throw my baby out with the bathwater when I've spent five years of trying to get academics and the College of Policing to deliver a better training project than we've ever had, to say, stop that, I want something else. I really felt like we weren't seeing eye to eye. But then she said... I spent a week working in our control room a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, where I sat with our people who handle 999 calls to kind of hear, you know, I've had a chat with them about some of the demands, and I heard a police officer describing a victim of domestic abuse as, well, it's her choice, isn't it? I just went nuts, you know, when you think that is not mm. the way we should be responding. So I am really realistic and alive to the fact that, sadly, in policing, you know, we... We reflect society and we have people who are misogynistic, kind of limited in their understanding, you know, and, and we do struggle with addressing. Uh, yes, it probably yes. is. But yeah. We're just yeah. running One minute, yeah. Sorry. Our time was up. There are a number of things we're prioritising mm. at the moment. Um, when I, when I met the Minister the other day with the Victims League and the College of Policing, we talked about how we can prioritise the training. So yeah. We were being ushered out of the room. To be fair to DCC Rolf, she knows that things need to change, but I felt like she'd rather push something through because she spent five years working on it, even though it's not necessarily the right thing to do. What struck me was the amount of people I've met in these positions that openly say that the current justice system doesn't work for domestic abuse, yet aren't willing to say, stop, hang on a second, what are we doing patching up a house with no foundation? It will continue to leak and crumble, no matter how much time and money goes into it. This whole journey has led me to one big question. How do we solve domestic abuse? There isn't even a legal definition of domestic abuse. The public system is buckling, the government is stuck and tied in knots and they very rarely think long-term prevention or look at how issues are interlinked. Domestic abuse isn't just domestic abuse. It's mental health, suicide, alcoholism, substance misuse, being re-victimised, child abuse, youth crime, female crime. The majority of women that are in prison are victims of domestic abuse, homelessness, the leading cause of homelessness is domestic abuse, and more domestic abuse. Abuse is systemic and intergenerational. Isn't domestic abuse then one of our biggest problems? As I record this, the domestic abuse bill that was meant to be groundbreaking and transformative has fallen due to a general election on the 12th of December 2019 in the UK. That's years of hard work gone, but also emotional pain from survivors that have shared their stories to try and make the change they needed. The government is failing victims, but also failing all of us. Domestic abuse has a ripple effect. It hurts all of us and our communities. Would the bill have been good enough anyway? It was similar to the current US law, which focuses on an after-it's-happened approach of locking people up. 
and has often seen victims as well as perpetrators being incarcerated. On average, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence or stalking by an intimate partner in the US. That's more than 12 million women and men per year. So that clearly doesn't work. The police. Well, the police are there for immediate danger. But by the time the police are called, isn't it again toward the end part of the spectrum? The police are after a lot of the damage has been done. They are picking up the misses. They aren't looking at the root. Can the police police domestic abuse on a system that I know doesn't work? A black and white legal system. I hope people involved in the police force and justice system will start to think more openly about what is presented in front of them. The why rather than the what behaviours rather than immediate visual and think about all the steps that have gone on before what is happening actually reached them. The majority of abuse victims never even come into contact with the criminal justice system. Data from 2018 showed that 85% of people who suffered domestic abuse did not report it to the police. There are refugees that do incredible work on a shoestring at that and there are also some male refugees not many but there are some which is huge progress these are life-saving support services that are essential but again are all in the aftermath as a rescue service a last resort refugees spend precious time writing desperate bids for continuing funding people's lives are being assessed on what is short-term value for money by the government and basically who can write the best most fancy looking bid And because of the lack of funding, 60% of women and children that seek help are turned away. What we do know is that incidents of abuse are never standalone events and people don't typically grow up in a household where a parent is regularly abused and life is otherwise wonderful. It's very hard for children growing up in domestic abuse to heal and recover when the source of the pain and danger comes from their very own family the people who are supposed to love them and be their caretakers. For each adverse experience in childhood, the toll it takes in later life increases. The effects of childhood trauma first become evident in school, in learning, behavioural problems masked by shame, secrecy and social taboo. It is out of fear that people develop controlling and abusive behaviours to protect themselves. It becomes a vicious cycle. So I suppose I'd like to end with a beginning, a rallying cry for it to start with us outside of the government, to stand together and say, this is not acceptable for me, for my friend, for my family, for my community, for my country and for the next generation. Domestic abuse affects all cultures, all gender identities, all sexual orientations and all economic groups. We must have an all-inclusive approach for anything to change. We have to look much further upstream and focus on early intervention. Look at the trauma domestic abuse causes to young people. Create projects nationally that help kids that need it there and then. 50% of mental health problems are established by the age of 14 and 75% by the age of 24. 70% of children and adolescents who experience mental health problems have not had appropriate interventions at a sufficiently early age. 
fund projects nationally that work with children that are displaying harmful behaviours, rejecting and demonising those kids is not the answer. We seem to forget that children grow up to become adults. Educate children about what a healthy and an unhealthy relationship is. About relationships. Relationships, whether intimate or not. After all, that's how we coexist. I'd also like to add that if you know somebody that you feel might be in domestic abuse, that includes an unhealthy relationship and toxic situation, please encourage them to listen to this. If they don't recognise it themselves, they're not going to be able to do anything to get out, no matter what you say or do. Listening to Undiscussable may help them recognise the behaviours that are playing out, not just from the perpetrator, but them too, and help them understand that they are not alone. To finish, I want to say a big thank you for going on this journey with us and to everybody who's taken part. Please spread the word and if you can relate to anything we've discussed, then I want you to know that through understanding what has happened to you, how this has shaped your feelings and behaviours, you can work through them. It's so hard to face things sometimes, but when we do, it gives us access to a reality where we can make a choice about what we need and what we want for our lives. You absolutely can get out of this. Like, you absolutely can. And it's going to be horrifically hard. It's going to be so scary. It's going to pull on your emotions about whether you're doing the wrong thing or you're a bad person. But remember that you don't deserve this. It is never okay. It's never okay. You don't have to accept that life. And there is hope and it takes time but you can absolutely rebuild I know so many amazing stories of people that have rebuilt their life and you know created a new life for themselves and are happy I wouldn't say that everyone has to spend all their lives thinking about the past but if your past is impacting on you um, now then it's important to make those links understand it so that you've got different choices now if you don't if you're not acknowledging what's going on, you don't have a choice to be different and we can only choose to do something different if we're aware of what's going on. We will be back. Please drop us a note if there is anything you think is undiscussable that you would like for the next series. We would love your suggestions. theme music throughout this season is the aptly named Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. Undiscussable is an independent production investigated, hosted and produced by me, Charlie Webster, with production and editorial support by Tanya Hudson and additional help by Ed Scott. Please head to charliewebster.com forward slash undiscussable for more details, help and support and please do share. <laughs>